I'm Troy Washington from KTBS3, and we welcome you to Education Checkup. We look forward to sharing the positives and the challenges of our local schools. We will talk with education leaders, teachers, and community leaders, letting our community know what is happening and talking about ideas to share between schools and our community. We will have new episodes on every other Monday, and you can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to podcasts. Let me introduce my co-host, Dr. Philip Roseman. Now, you're known as a doctor in this community, but we've talked, and you explained to me that your mother and your father, they were not doctors. So you really believe in the American dream, and that's been a lot of the push for you to and your passion and your drive for education over the last 25 years. Yeah, I, I uh, truly do believe education is the key to opportunity and that what happens in our school system matters a lot for a lot of people. And so for all the other people, I've always felt like it was important to work as a community to make education and school improvement a big part of what we do. You know, we're living in a time when there's good things and bad things happening uh, all around us and we need some good news and we get it from the education system as they tackle the challenges that they have. I really do think that it's important to put good people with our children and that's why it's so important to get the great teachers that we have. So listen, we have a, a great show today. Uh, we have a great guest. She is uh, fantastic. I've known her a long time. Uh, she's uh, her real job is assistant <laughs> pro professor at Louisiana Tech and on the faculty at uh, LSU Health. Uh, she also is on the global faculty of the Digital Wellness Institute, which is what we're talking about today, uh, is about what's going on with technology, social media, and our children. And it's important because there's a directly, there's only so much time in the day and when too much of it is spent doing other things, children don't get their schoolwork done, things don't work out as well. So we really want to tap your brain uh, about how we can be smarter about all of this technology and this, uh, what we're doing in the social uh, sphere. Um, you said something the other, other day uh, when we were talking uh, about uh, the uh, technology, the inferior good of technology. And, you know, those are, I'm just wondering, what, what were you meaning when you talked about the inferior good of, of technology? So an inferior good is something that you are more likely to have and use if you are impoverished. So the, the, the strange thing about technology being an inferior good is anybody who's bought an iPhone lately knows it's an expensive device. Cheap. It is not, <laughs> yes. But what we have found out from technology uh, research is that the, f the children who spend the most time on their devices are apt to be from our lower income families. In fact, lower income families, uh, children from those families uh, spend on average like two hours more a day in front of a screen than children who are from more privileged families. The most interesting thing too that I, I love to tell the story is um, the the creators of all this technology, the, the Bill Gates, and if you ask them 
what were your rules in your home around technology? They're like, oh, my kids didn't get this until they were well into their teens. So these, the families that created these technologies actually really delayed introduction of them to their children and, and create a lot of boundaries and limits. And that's what we need all families to do. Yeah, the boundaries and limits of this. Talk a little bit about um, how this, how social media technology, schools, you know, how does that interact? Is there some good things out of this? Or what are the things we need to, quote, put limits on? What do we need to do? Right. So technology use in the home can certainly impact academic performance, and it can do it in a number of different ways. The first is sleep. Any child who goes to school and has not had enough sleep, and we know children need about nine hours of sleep, young children do, uh, in elementary school, and if they have a device in their bedroom and they're looking at that device, it's odds are it's delaying bedtime and it may actually be that they get up early to look at it as well. So when it comes to smartphones, and this is a really big one, what we know is if you have a smartphone in your bedroom, on your nightstand, then you are going to get less sleep and the sleep that you get is not going to be as good of quality because odds are if it's on your nightstand it's making noise in the middle of the night and what do you do in the middle of the night you're going to reach Hello. for it you're going to reach for it and check it and of course that impacts the quality of sleep so one of the really important things that parents can do to help their children have a, a good day at school the next day is have a no phones in the bedroom policy or at least have a cutoff time about an hour before they go to sleep. And let's talk a minute about how phones impact sleep. Phones emit a blue light. You know, all light has temperature. And the, the light that comes from your phone mimics the light from outside. So if you're looking at a phone right before you go to sleep, your brain is saying, Oh, it's daylight. <laughs> I think we all need to hear that. Yes. It's daylight. And so if your brain thinks it's daylight, what does it not produce? Melatonin. Not going to go And so you don't have that natural process, that chemical process going on in your brain because your brain is, has been confused. So here are three things you can do. One is just turn the darn thing off, read, read a book, and like we all used to do before <laughs> you go to bed, or get what are called blue light glasses. And you can put these on and they actually block the, the blue light. There are also settings on some phones now for nighttime where you can turn that on and that will help with the blue light issue as well. The other thing is when you're sitting there looking at stuff, you're not winding down, right? And when you post something on social media and you see that it got way more likes than you expected, do you know what goes on in your brain? <laughs> Dopamine! <laughs> you get excited and you're gonna stay up. <laughs> yes, so you get excited and you stay up. Yes. So that's, that's why it's a really good practice and parents need to do this too. This should just be a household rule. I'll say when I was a teenager and I did have a phone, my mother would make us charge our phones at night. So we would put them in the kitchen on the charger. Yes. So it's ready for the next day mm -hmm. and I'm getting good rest, right? So I'm ready to be productive at school. So, I mean, that's a suggestion. Oh, family charging station. Yes. 
everybody have that place in the kitchen where everybody plugs their phone in at a certain time and then you get it in the morning after you've gotten up and had a shower and brushed your teeth and gotten dressed and all that. Yeah. I remember how difficult it was to get my children, some of them, a couple of them, to do their homework uh, okay. after they came home from school. And um, that was before uh, this heavy uh, use of cell phones, believe it or not. So what, it's, it's almost in competition for time. Mm -hmm. what, it, what do you do to make sure your child is doing the things they need to do for school mm -hmm. and getting ready for school rather than the phone. All right, so if technology is not needed for homework, as could be the case with younger children especially, then get it out of the room. It's back at the family charging station. It's back at the family charging <laughs> station. Homework time, TV's off, phone, anything else is out of the room. And that includes your phone too, mom or dad, okay? <laughs> if yours is making noise, that doesn't help either. But if you've got to have it there, it's really important that you turn off notifications, text, disable those features, okay? So that you're not constantly being disrupted. Let me tell you something that's gonna surprise you. Do you multitask well? I would like to think so, but I think other people might say otherwise. Same with me. I think I do. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a really good multitasker. I, but I don't think, I, I probably those around me are telling me I'm not really doing that that well. So multitasking is something you can do if you're not doing two cognitively demanding tasks. Like you're watching TV and folding clothes. You don't even have to look at the clothes to fold the towels and all that. But if you're reading a book and you're talking on the phone <laughs> or texting someone, you're not you doing do either way. No. Only 1% of people can multitask, although most people think they can. They can't. What they're doing is called task switching, okay? Mm. So when your, your child is doing homework, but they're constantly checking the text messages and the Snapchat you know, messages, all of that, what they're doing is they're task switching. And when you do that, it takes a while for you to reorient every time. So have you ever read a, a book and then you take a break and you come back, you have to be like, okay, yeah. where did where right. did I leave off, right? right? So what ends up happening are two things. It takes your child longer to do the homework than if they did the homework and then they did their texting or Snapchat or whatever with a friend, okay? Mm. So what you need to do is you say, I'm going to do this and then I will do this. Maybe even make some of that uh, technology f fun and a reward for finishing homework. But when you go back and forth, it takes a whole lot longer to do both. And guess how, how uh, the performance on homework is? Poor oh, at good. times. Yeah. You, know, you don't I, do as good a job. I just wonder that uh, you know, the parents that see that their child is doing hours and hours on homework, maybe it's not the school's fault. Maybe. It's the multitasking going on, you know, or the, the task switching rather. Or the task switching. We learned something yeah. new. Well, here's an interesting thing: pediatricians will talk about parents bringing their children in and saying, "I think my child may have ADHD because he takes forever to do his homework," and then the pediatrician will say, "Well, is he? Does he have the technology out of the room, or is he going back and forth?" 
turn all of that off and then see how long it takes. <laughs> so it turns out he's just distracted. He's distracted. Sure. But here's what's interesting. This isn't limited to our kids. It impacts us. In fact, it impacts us in the workplace all the time too. I mean, think about all the times that you get, you're writing a story and you get an email and you stop and check it and then you and go you back to, go to back. writing your yeah. story. You so managing distraction is a challenge for all of us. And the sooner we get our kids understanding how it really impairs their ability to do something and do it well and do it in a, in a uh, decent amount of time, then the better off they'll be. Go ahead. I was going to say just identifying that. I mean, that's at least in the, headed in the right direction. Yeah. That now we know that, hey, maybe my kid isn't just taking a long time to finish their work. They're just distracted. We get that out the way. Now we're going somewhere because that's something, a challenge that even all of us probably experience. So if we can teach that to the young people, you know, a little earlier, we get them on the right track. Yeah. Well, in teaching children to focus, this is one of the scariest things that's happened with technology is we've lost our ability to focus. There's a book called Stolen Focus that came out this year by Johan Hari. And he talks about, and he interviews lots of people, our attention span is shortening, okay? Mm. And that's not good because deep work requires time. We've got to be able to focus on something for a lengthy amount of time. And we don't want our children to lose that ability because ultimately it will impact their academic performance in later years too. You know, Jeanette, sometimes I feel like we've gone on one way or on, and then to the other on the pendulum. And I remember the day when we talked about technology and technology being something that was really going to improve uh, schools it was going to make everything better and then we got into the pandemic uh, and we saw technology it didn't do very well in that situation uh, it, we learned that really a lot of learning was one-on-one -on -one. it was mm -hmm. uh, people with people uh, and that had to be there i know they've got to be working and thinking about you know how technology can be used in school earlier we were talking about technology in certain in schools and how it can be used as an asset. Um, right. So, do you, in your reading, have you noticed, have you heard anything or thought about anything as it relates to where's the future of technology going uh, as it relates to uh, school and, and educational activities? Well, I, I will say this that it's really important that we understand that technology can't replace teachers. Okay. That um, and there is certainly a role for technology and thank heavens we had it when COVID hit and we had to close our schools and send everybody home. Yeah. But there is a there is a limit to what it can do. We're getting better at learning how to use it to um, stimulate curiosity and creativity and learning. There are more and more things coming out that allow children to use technology to create things, which is the best use of it. Um, but as we've talked many times, not all technology uses are the same. And so we have to recognize which activities too are beneficial and which ones are not. But regardless, nobody needs to look at a screen 10, 11, 12 hours a day. And that's what most of our young people do. They spend more hours with a screen than they spend sleeping. There's a feature now that actually tells you how long, how mm -hmm. much screen time you've had this week. Yes. And if it's up from last week, I don't know if that pops up on your phones, but it does on mine. <laughs> and sometimes it really makes you think like, 
how much, well, what was I doing this week that I spent more time looking at my phone? And even for parents, how do we adjust once we notice that, you know, to improve those things? You know, one, uh, and I'll tell you a quick story. I remember um, being at a birthday party out of town with, for my little sister's daughter, and a mother came with her two children, and it was a swimming party. And the children were in the pool, little girls, and the grandmother was there too. And they would say, Mom, look at me. And then they'd stick their head underwater and pop back up. You know how kids <laughs> like do. Well, like, yeah, like, you know, they have just done something super wonderful. <laughs> and uh, they yelled and yelled for the mom. And she never looked up from Candy Crush. She never looked at the children. She never spoke to the other parents. She played, and I sat there, you know, as a, a specialist in this area, I sat there and watched her for over an hour play Candy Crush. And so one of the things parents have to think about when, when we we're talking about technology and children, what you're doing with technology matters. And you need to put down Candy Crush when your child comes home from school and you need to ask them about their day. Yes. You need to look at their homework. You need to talk to them. You've got to manage your distraction too so that you can fill the role you need to fill as a parent. Like the saying goes, they do what they see, mm -hmm. not always what you say. So you definitely want to be able to show them how it's done as far as Okay, I'm fully engaged with it. You said, look at this, I'm looking at this. So how was your day? Tell me about your day. And just as we talked about with uh, family dinner time, mm -hmm. those are opportunities to have those conversations, put the phone away. We've been on Dr. Roseman about putting the phone away, but he needs <laughs> to have his phone because <laughs> he needs, he's on call. So yeah. everyone else, we'll put our phones away. Yeah, it's just a way to, I think, as an adult, as a parent, to show them I love you, you know, just by the fact that you're, looking at them, Paying you know, attention. and not looking at this. And uh, I remember when there used to be people, it, it was not so out there that everybody had their phone and everybody was looking at it. People would put their phone there in a praying position, you know, to, uh -huh. to be watching the thing as well as eating. But tell us, Johnette, a little bit about what you're doing. I mean, it is fascinating to me, and I think it'd be fascinating to others. You know, you're really taking and making a huge effort. I know you're spending a lot of time uh, on this issue of social media and bringing it to the attention. What are you doing? How are you doing it? You know, tell us a little bit about it. Well, Dr. Marquis Pierre with LSU Health, who is also a certified digital wellness practitioner, the two of us together are going to be working with Caddo Schools and uh, putting on parent academies hmm. for them this fall for kids in K through five. And we're gonna talk to parents about all the questions, when should my child get a phone? When do they get on social media? How much screen time? Uh, technology and sleep homework. So we're going to, to work with parents and th the beauty of that age group too is hopefully they're not having to undo too much. Hopefully they're, you know, they haven't uh, uh, gotten too far down the road. But uh, how to have a healthy tech household is what I call it. Yeah. So how many hours of screen, screen time should you allow as a parent? What's a safe? Well, it, it depends on the age, and of course, uh, I like to reference the American Academy of Pediatrics as the, as the starting point. But what we do know is from about age five to six up, which is what children are once they enter kindergarten, the, uh, the American Academy and others don't really give you these strict 
hours. Mm -hmm. um, what they say is you really need to be aware of it, but also you, you need to look at what they're doing and recognize that if they spend four or five hours creating something, playing music and recording it and creating something, that's really great versus, you know, just shooting something on a screen. Yeah, it just seems that, you know, that, the, that this technology and these things can boost creativity uh, in yeah. ways, but it hasn't reached its potential. Uh, and we don't necessarily look and see the difference between screen time, like you said, of doing things that are going to be beneficial to the growth of the child versus those things that are going to be detrimental mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Well, here's too what I would suggest that parents do is to really think about those educational good things. Um, you know, you have grandchildren, have that Saturday morning, nine o'clock Zoom with the grandparents and let the children talk about their week and update them. You know, teach your children how to use technology to connect with loved ones. Mm, that's good. And use common sense media. I love this organization. They will say this new game is out and it's really great for this age group. This game, uh, not so good. What do so we do about this issue of the one-on-one -on -one relationships? You know, the, the actual being able to talk to each other, the interactions. What do you suggest might be things that, that parents can do, that we can, grandparents can do, you know, in relationship to kind of building that strength? What can mm -hmm. schools do to help build that strength? What do we need to do? Well, we need to encourage face-to-face -face interaction. One of the biggest concerns post-COVID is it, it, we were in isolation long enough that we developed new habits. Mm -hmm. And we got used to not going and doing those things that put us together face-to-face. -to -face. And just because COVID is more or less behind us, uh, it doesn't mean we've returned to face-to-face -face interactions. So. Tell your son or daughter, you know, today instead of playing this game, why don't you invite two friends over and when the friends come in the house, you take the phones, tell the moms, hey, you can contact me when it's time to come and then encourage them to go do things. When my kids were little, I'd love to tell the story about how they used to come home and watch Cartoon Network for hours before dinner. And the kids from the neighborhood would come over and they'd just sit there, you know, transfixed. And one day I said, okay, moms, I called the other moms. I said, we, it's beautiful this time of year. These boys need to go outside. And so they started playing football in my front yard. And all the kids in the neighborhood then started playing. And, and parents would ask me, you know, how did you get them to do it? I said, well, I got with the other parents and we agreed this is what they're going to do. Genius. <laughs> you know? So it was it was a conspiracy of parents. Yeah, conspiracy. And sometimes that's what you have to do so that you can uh, the parents can get together and say, "All right, we're not going to give our children social media until they're 13, which is what they're supposed to be." And if all the parents are in agreement, then your child's not the only one not on social media. That's a good point. It is. And I think even with my little one, she has a tablet, but I'll encourage her, she'll say tablet, and I'll say, no, let's go play with your dollhouse. Mm -hmm. So then we're playing Barbies right. instead of, you know, pulling that up. And that's, 
actual in-person interaction. And I think that you start to cultivate those habits early on. Mm -hmm. It's not such a drastic switch. That doesn't mean that you can't switch later on. Because like you said, um, in a lot of the neighborhoods, chances are you know your neighbor's mom, right? Yeah. You know, the mom that lives next door. If you're able to partner with them to maybe make sure to implement some of these things, mm -hmm. then you form that alliance. And I think that that can take you a lot further, right? Right, right. And and the child can't put you against the other mother, you know. <laughs> exactly. This child gets to do this. I don't get to do that. And you, you're such a mean mother. But, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think that's uh, great to form those kind of alliances. I know they had them when I was growing up. They had a definite alliance going on between the mothers. There's actually an organization called Wait Until Eighth. And it is an organization that encourages parents to not give their children phones until eighth grade. And if someone starts up a wait until eighth chapter in a school, you then get a number of parents to agree and everybody signs. So you create this community of people who have all agreed that we're going to delay um, smartphones. So the resources are out there. They really are out there. And, and again, for if you're talking about parents trying to figure out how to manage technology with their children, common sense media is, is my favorite. Um, adults, I would steer you toward the Center for Humane Technology because they get a, a little deeper into technology and the ways that it's impacting us negatively. Well, I'd really like to you know, have the, the teachers in, in the different schools be able to hear what you're having to say, not only in the workbook, but with, with this podcast. I mean, love for them to listen to hear the things uh, that, that you've given us today. Really good tips, really good things that we need to know. And as I said at the beginning, it's so important to talk about this, and you've been doing it, uh, and uh, we greatly appreciate it. It's, a, uh, it's been a great uh, discussion. Well, thank you. You know, I love talking about it, so I'll come anytime. <laughs> I've enjoyed this conversation with you both. And we will have new episodes every other Monday, and you can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.